Welcome to another episode of WDMA Open and Close. I'm your host, Mike O'Brien, CEO of the Window and Door Manufacturers Association. It's technically spring, although I know that's a debatable point for a lot of folks around the country. But spring kicks the building season into high gear, and for this episode, we thought we'd take a deeper dive into the remodeling market. And for that, we have a special guest joining us today. But before we get to that, and as a reminder, you can subscribe to WDMA Open and Close through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also listen to us online through the WDMA website at wdma.com slash WDMA Open and Close. Joining us now on the podcast is Craig Webb. Craig is president of Web Analytics in Washington, D.C., a firm he launched last fall. However, listeners may know Craig from his previous positions as editor-in-chief of both Remodeling and Pro Sales magazines. His new firm, Web Analytics, builds and expands on Craig's lifelong career in the news and information businesses. He's worked for the Wall Street Journal, McGraw-Hill, United Press International, and a variety of magazines, newsletters, and newspapers in the U.S. and Europe. He's traveled to 49 states and several foreign countries visiting dealers, builders, and remodelers. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So congrats on launching the new firm. Tell us a little bit about it. Web Analytics is designed to be an early warning system for people in the construction and construction supply industries. So I have the 30,000-foot view uh, of what's going on in the industry. And so often the remodelers and builders and manufacturers you talk to, they have to be by nature much more local and much more focused on their own business. So they often are unaware of the incoming missiles and incoming meteors that could uh, disrupt their business in lots of ways or, or the opportunities that could help boost it. So my job is to do that kind of watching and spend time with those companies so that they can focus on what matters uh, locally. What type of early warning issue or something you would engage them on? Well, there are several different trends going on in construction today. One is a greater use of uh, off-site uh, materials manufactured off-site. Another is a trend toward mass timber and tall wood buildings. A third is uh, the, in, the continuing drive toward energy efficiency and um, and basically fighting off what uh, is referred to as sick home syndrome. Another one is the labor shortage and how to help uh, get more people into this wonderful industry. Well, you've touched on a few issues near and dear to our hearts uh, in terms of things like energy efficiency and labor shortages, which is something plaguing the window and door industry as well. Let's turn and talk a little bit about the remodeling market and, and what you're seeing out there. And I'm, I'm sure you saw the recent Harvard Joint Center for Housing Studies report on the remodeling market, which was released a couple weeks ago, showing spending on improvements hitting a record high of $425 billion in 2017 and even surpassing investment in home building. So what are your key takeaways from the report? I think the biggest takeaway is that uh, remodeling really does not get the attention from the, the, the nation that new home construction does. And it's, it's kind of unfair. We, we begin about one and a quarter million homes every year. That's how many starts we have, both in new single family and multifamily. 
At the same time, there are 137 million homes in this country that are already standing. And that's where most of the people live. And that's if we're going to solve problems, if we're going to help people live better lives, remodeling is the way that we, we get there. The second thing that intrigued me about the report is that it mentioned that 40% of America's homes are at least 50 years old. You know, they were around uh, not long after Lyndon Johnson left the presidency. And those homes consequently were built in, in other times with other ideas about what a, what a good, energy-efficient, uh, well-serving home is. And we've got a great opportunity to improve those homes. Uh, the third thing that intrigued me was that if you look at the remodeling going on, People who are in the baby boom generation or just um, at, the, at the forefront of Gen X, people 55 and older, they're over 50% of the spending. And not only are they more than 50% of the spending, they tend to spend more than younger people on remodeling, and uh, they are more likely to hire a professional. So consequently, you've, if you are in the remodeling business or you, you sell replacement products, you've got this this basically huge opportunity that is going to continue for many more years for remodeling and remodeling spending. Finally, the, the kinds of people who are living in these houses are a little different than they used to be. That brings up uh, questions of universal design and aging in place, which I know you want to get into later, but that's, that's also a huge opportunity for people in the business. Well, you mentioned a couple of things sort of near and dear to my heart, which is sort of the lack of focus, uh, particularly from a policy perspective, not just in Washington, but all across the country, uh, about energy efficiency and the impact it can make with the existing housing stock. You know, so much of the new codes um, and regulations that are passed are, are solely focused on, on new homes when it's the existing housing stock that is the huge energy drain, housing and building stock for that matter, on the country and you know we're we always like to point out we're still trying to deal with replacing a billion single pane windows that are still in existence in the united states and so much could be done from an energy efficiency standpoint just by by tackling window and door replacement and i just don't think there's enough being done from a policy perspective in, in tackling that i agree but, and i think it's in part because Existing projects are, are are not the bright, shiny objects that new homes are. They aren't the kinds of things that architects go crazy about. And yet they are the things that on a very practical basis really make a difference in terms of energy consumption. I'm going through this right now with my uh, late mother-in-law's house down in a small farming community in eastern North Carolina. And uh, just last year, we finally got rid of the single-pane windows. You know, one of the other things that really struck me in the report was sort of the millennial generation actually increasing their remodeling spend. That was a bit of a surprise to me in the report. Well, I think that you can say that shows like um, you see on HGTV and Chip and Joanna Gaines and people like that really are having an influence on what people are doing with their houses, what they're putting into their houses. I can't tell you how many remodelers I talk to who say that 
the first thing that uh, a young person does is want to put shiplap siding into the house yeah. anywhere. And it's yes. because Chip and Joanna. And, and I think that they have influenced the, the choices that millennials make. But I think the other thing that's really important to come out of this is that it turns out that millennials want to have a home of their own, a place that they love, a place that they that reflects who they are just as much as their 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 parents and grandparents did. And so consequently, you know, this notion of houses being a much more disposable object than they used to be or houses not really being part of uh, the young younger generation's life, I think is just not true. They just are taking longer to get there, but once they get there, they want to do a lot of the things that their parents did, and, and that means frequently buying an older home and fixing it up. Yeah, and this is a little off topic and something I, I want to do in a, on a future podcast, but the more and more I, I learn about the impact of student loan debt on the younger generation and what people are paying in student loans, which far exceed what a lot of people initially pay in a mortgage, is I think becoming a big drag on the younger generation, you know, buying new homes or remodeling their homes. And I think it's something that from a policy perspective, I think we're going to have to really grapple with going forward. Yes. And, and when you start looking at certain influencing factors in elections and the like, there is a relationship between people who get elected and people who ha are viewed by younger people as being more likely to help them with their student loan issues. So, yes, it is something that hasn't been thought of as much, but it's, it's, it's really rising in importance. So even with all this strength in the remodeling market in the last several years, so many of these remodeling businesses continue to fail. So what's your perspective on what does it really take for a remodeler to succeed in this, in this market? One of the things that's important to remember is that a remodeler is a special combination of three different traits. The first thing you have to do to be a good remodeler, obviously, is to be good at remodeling. You have to be good with your hands or have, have certain skills that enable you to fix up somebody's house nicely. The second thing you have to be is good with people. And then the third thing you have to be is good at business. And frequently, you, the remodelers who fail may be good at one of those things or two of those things, but they're not good at all three of those things. And as a result, particularly on the business side, they, they, they fail to see their business as a business and, and treat it accordingly. One of the questions I used to ask when I've been out talking to remodeling organizations is to ask remodelers, how do you see yourself? Are you a remodeler? Or are you in the remodeling business? Because being in the remodeling business is a, is, is a much different thing than, than somebody who just likes to make stuff better. Which answer did you get more, <laughs> more than the other? Well, the ones who were in the room, uh, especially because I was more business-oriented in my speeches, were the people who were in the remodeling business. Uh, frequently, the people who grew up and just like to play with their hands and maybe had parents who were in the business were the ones who tended to think of themselves as remodelers. Uh, the ones who were in the remodeling business frequently started in some other business and discovered that they'd much rather be doing this than, than being on Wall Street or, or running a haberdashery or, or something like that. So 
those those tended to be the differences. The people who tend to fail, frankly, fail because they haven't learned to charge enough. They haven't learned to keep what they've what they've spent. They haven't learned to budget things properly. They they're always using the next job to pay for the last job. Understanding cash flow, understanding what what kinds of margins you need to succeed, understanding how prospecting plays a huge role in your ultimate success. Those are the kinds of things that if you're just a person who loves um, to make a pretty piece of molding, you usually don't think much about. And as a result, the people who make a pretty piece of molding and do nothing else, they often go out of business. Yeah, I've I've been involved in a lot of remodeling and renovation projects myself, not not doing it myself, hiring professionals and I think customer service to me has always been wildly uneven when it comes to remodelers and those I choose to to hire for a project. It's amazing how much different the quality and customer service can be just in terms of responsiveness, working with the homeowner and handling the the follow-up after the project issues, which, you know, from a consumer homeowner standpoint are the things that I think will make or break so many remodelers. And I remember from one of your other presentations and in, in showing how much contact businesses were getting after hours online from, from consumers and, and, and how much that is growing in terms of importance to remodelers. You're right. Being able to respond at, at all hours uh, to all needs is something that is relatively new compared with the days when you just had a, a landline or, 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 and everybody was using a flip phone. So the, the world has changed. Uh, I think that you are onto something, though, when you talk about responsiveness, because one way you can tell the good remodelers from the not-so-good remodelers is how quickly and efficiently they uh, return phone calls and how quickly and efficiently they they work with you to help you get a sense relatively quickly of whether you and they are the right fit because this is a a, 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 a almost a circus like trapeze relationship in which there's a lot of flying through the air and trusting that the other person will grab hold on to you be it the remodeler to the customer or the customer to the remodeler and so consequently, getting that trust uh, built quickly matters, as well as deciding quickly whether trust is ever possible. The good remodelers have those kinds of processes in place. They have those systems in place. They even set up their websites to let you know fairly quickly whether you are their kind of, um, of customer. I remember a, cust- a, a remodeler in New Jersey who said, he likes to deal with upscale customers, but he doesn't want to deal with the, with the wealthiest of customers, even though theoretically they're the greatest profit and the greatest amount of money. He, he, that's not who he wants to go after. He goes after a certain niche of persons. And from his website onward, he uh, emphasizes, this is what I do. This is what I'm good at. I hope that we fit. But if not, I'll go find somebody who will fit for you, but, but we won't work together. Yeah. Another interesting statistic from one of your past presentations was about the size of remodeling firms and that 
something like over 80%, even in good times, have fewer than four employees. And that to me just, you know, on its face seems counterintuitive and makes me wonder, is it just culture, the culture of not wanting to hire, to have employees, to do it themselves? Is it labor shortages? Is it a combination of both? I, what's there? Well, I should probably qualify that that number to begin with uh, to make sure that you know that when we say 80% of the companies have fewer than four employees, they tend to be talking about full service, what are referred to as full service remodeling companies in which you hire somebody and you, you, you want them to do uh, a relatively complicated piece of work uh, down to swapping out a, a, a sink or something that's, that's semi-complicated. That's the complicated home- for me, Craig. <laughs> well, that's true. As opposed to the home improvement industry. And one way to think about it is that with a full-service remodeler, you have a very intense, potentially long-term relationship with that customer in which you do a variety of things for that customer on, on, a, on a very close and personal basis. So, you know, imagine Thomas Jefferson's favorite remodeler. I mean, Thomas Jefferson had that remodeler working on Monticello like for 50 years doing this project, that project building this out. In contrast, a home improvement company, such as a window replacement or a door replacement or a roofing replacement, doesn't have that kind of relationship. And you don't need quite as many skills. You need to be very intensely good and efficient at one thing, replacing a window or replacing a door. And you don't have a long-term relationship with that customer. Once once whoever put in Jefferson's windows at Monticello put in the windows, he didn't come back. And those companies, the home improvement companies, are the ones in which you can replicate the process and, and do things relatively efficiently, and, ex, and you, can, you can expand your business. Consequently, those companies tend to be much bigger and have a much larger uh, dollar volume and have more employees. The up-close and personal work that a full-service remodeler does is much more skills and multi-skills related and almost a boutique and consequently, you, you tend to have fewer employees because the relationship is different. Also, there's much more of a tendency to outsource because sometimes you need that, that special service, that, that plumber or that electrician or that, that framer. Other times you don't. So keeping them on the payroll the whole year round doesn't really work. Those are the two basic breakdowns and the two key reasons why there are differences in, in, in employment size. Well, sort of going beyond that then, what are some of the things that the best remodelers do that set them apart? There are three or four. I think the first is that they they have discipline. They know what they are and they know what they're not and they, they constantly focus on, on those good things. Uh, frankly, one one way you can sort of tell whether a remodeler is, 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 has quite figured this out is to look at their truck. If the, if the best signage on the truck says free estimates, then that means they haven't really thought that much about what their real specialty is. Anybody can do a free estimate, and that's not really, you know, that really doesn't make the, the, the remodeler any money. The systems that they have in, for uh, taking in calls and handling your information, collecting information, the, the processes they have for um, handling a customer from, from uh, beginning to end, 
and you can you can tell that fairly quickly as you start talking to them if they seem haphazard about what they're doing rather than you know pulling out a form pulling out a document giving you a sense early on of where things are going those are the things that the good remodelers do the the, the remodelers also are uh, constantly prospecting but as they prospect they're also qualifying they're working very hard to find the best kind of customer who suits who suits what they do well and consequently because they become even more and more of a specialist in a particular type of work, be it um, doing additions, doing uh, great kitchen and bath jobs, fitting out your basement, building up an entire house for you from start to finish, any of those things, they then have an opportunity to increase uh, what they charge and increase their margins and thus be in a greater position to uh, survive over the long term profitably. So let's talk about technology, um, everyone's favorite subject, and how is that impacting the remodeling market now? In several different ways. One is that, of course, with email and, uh, and other devices, it is so much easier to communicate with a customer. It used to be, for example, that if you had a, a cabin up in the mountains and you were relying on somebody up in the mountains while you were, you were down in the big city, you just would have to trust that that person was doing what you want. Now they can set up cameras. They can, they can, they can video talk, chat with you. You can have a nice conversation with somebody doing something far away. I know a lot of boomers who had, who had aging parents from the greatest generation and were having to worry about their, their parents and, and fixing up their house. Would, would frequently rely on these kinds of communications so that they could be several states away and still help oversee necessary work for their, their, their parents' residents. Second, I think that you're starting to see better technology to help people envision things. Building information modeling and 3D, 3D modeling and virtual reality is helping avoid mistakes. If you're, let's say you're, you're putting in a kitchen and you've got a kitchen island there and you want to make sure that the, the people buying the house feel comfortable with the amount of space between the sink and the kitchen, and the kitchen island. In the old days, you just show them a two-dimensional drawing with a, a, a listing of how many inches apart they were. And the, the homeowner frequently had no idea of how that felt. You put them into virtual reality and they can in effect walk around and they can, they can feel right away whether that is too close or too narrow between the kitchen island and the sink. Technology also is helping with things like drones and the ability to do automated measurements. I was fascinated at the uh, roofing show I went to earlier this year about how people are using a combination. Well, actually they're using souped up versions, uh, uh, bespoke versions of, of satellite technology to do measurements of roofs and the like, so that you can get better estimates. And then you use drones to go up and down the walls to see if there are uh, places that need repairs. Things that you can do now that you never could do before that actually speed up the process, reduce the number of errors, reduce the number of surprises along the way, and ultimately produce a better job. Well, I also think, just sort of uh, piggybacking on technology, when you look at sort of the Im impact of, of the internet, 
now on remodelers businesses, things like home advisor, social media. Do you see remodelers being successful using those things? Oh, yes, they do. The, one of the, the real challenges, especially for the full service remodeler, is to come to a standard definition and agreement with the customer as to what is what. A customer may say, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm really a, a colonial style person. And it turns out that what they really like is mid-century modern. Yeah. Asking people now to go into something like house and create their own collection of photos or go into Pinterest and create their own collection of photos just really cuts down on the amount of discussion you need and the number of ideas that you can come up with that, that either can cause confusion or, or so, so new ideas. So those kinds of technologies also matter a lot too. I also really love the uh, window configurators that you can get these days in which you can look uh, and see, for example, how uh, a certain style of window is, is, is going to look after you've really kitted it out. Uh, I love how you have door configurators that show how a door is going to look when on your house and maybe whether you need to change the paint around it, that sort of thing. So the, the ability to envision and plan ahead with technology, I think, is one of the great uh, advantages that we're seeing today. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm actually in the middle of possibly changing my my siding, and the company who I'll, I won't name has a one of these online tools. You know, so you can change. You know, you give them a picture of your house, and, you, and it gives you what it would look like with the different types of siding. But as a side benefit to that, it it changes my door. It's like, well, if your door were this color, this is what it would look like. So it's changing rapidly. And if, if, if you're the kind of person who, you know, cares about those colors as opposed to saying, oh, just paint it black and I'll, you know, I don't right. care. If you're one of those people, it's, it's, a, it's a huge deal. I am fascinated also at uh, how many different kinds of materials um, you can make things out of these days uh, for siding, for windows, for doors. And consequently, the need to have someone who can explain those things to you uh, has has never been greater. So, you know, some people ask, you know, are we ever going to get in an era where you don't need remodelers or, you know, you can you can just sort of do things automatically? And I think, no, there it, it's still a pretty complicated business just in terms of knowing what the options are and, and knowing how to make those options work. And so consequently, I think remodelers are going to be as valuable in the future as they've ever been, even with all this new technology that we've got coming down the pike. So with aging in place continuing as a strong trend, what do you see as the implications for remodelers there and also for us, for the window and door industry? There several things. One is that aging in place is something that baby boomers like me don't want to admit that we'll ever need. We think that we're going to be young and sexy forever. And then it's only when one of a couple of things happen. We, we break our leg on a ski run or we witness our, our own parents as they go through experiences that you start having people begin to realize that designing the house so that it can accommodate you matters. The other thing that, that I think is happening is that older people are more willing to remain in their homes now than they used to. I think that 
the the idea of moving to Florida and and expecting the grandkids to come down and see you has pretty much been washed away. Uh, the grandkids aren't going to come see you, so you you need to live near the grandkids. And if that's the house you're living in now, then you're more likely to say, well, what can I do to make this house livable for the years to come? So that means master bedroom suites on the first floor. In terms of doors, wider doors, so that you can maybe get a wheelchair through it or or some some other device. Walk-in showers. And, and with regard to windows, one of the things that I think is starting to come to people's attention is the need for light. As you get older, your ability to take in light becomes less and your need for light is greater. So consequently, if you start looking at homes that have universal design principles, frequently they have clerestory windows so that you mm-hmm. can just get more, more light in. Uh, there's much more concern about skylights and also making windows more usable. How many people in old farmhouses had trouble reaching across the sink and raising the window, uh, the, the, the sash window, you know, right in front of the sink? If you replace that with a clerestory window, that's a lot easier to open and close. Not a clerestory. Um, a casement? Casement, yes. Thank you. That's That's good for opening and closing. You know that's going to bring more air into the house. It's going to make it. It's going to make you more likely to have the window be open and, and available and bringing in light. So, I think that right now most of the attention on universal design has been in the bathroom. I think as we go further, there's going to be a lot more attention on the uh, the doors and the windows and their role in helping people live good lives as you live your golden years. So, Craig, tell the folks listening how they can find you and subscribe to your your new new newsletter and everything and my web address is web w-e-b-b hyphen analytics and that's a-n-a-l-y-t-i-c-s dot com webanalytics.com is my my web address my email is cweb at webanalytics.com i have a newsletter that comes out once a month and I give speeches and talk to people all over the country. So if you're in the window and door business or you are a, in the remodeling business and want to get a, a more personal view and a more uh, local view of what's happening and what trends and threats and opportunities affect you, uh, I'm around. And Craig is also very well-versed in the pro-dealer market. And hopefully we'll have him back later this year on another podcast and talk about what's going on in that particular segment. That would be fun. So thanks so much for joining us in the podcast, Craig. We really appreciate your insights. Thank you. And that does it for another episode of WDMA Open and Close. If you are listening to us through your favorite podcast platform, do us a favor and don't forget to subscribe and rate us. Thanks for listening and goodbye until the next episode of WDMA Open and Close.